No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schaap. It was a chilling story. Generations of young girls, athletes, many of them, abused by the osteopathic physician Larry Nasser. A story that was covered by my colleagues, John Barr and Dan Murphy, and it was remarkable reporting. And it is now the basis of a new book by Barr and Murphy, Start by Believing, Larry Nasser's Crimes, the Institutions that Enabled Him, and the Brave Women Who Stopped a Monster. And it's a pleasure to be joined by both John Barr and Dan Murphy. Gentlemen, thanks for being with us. Jeremy, thanks for having us. So, you know, you guys were right in the middle of covering this story, which was so horrific and for so many people, so shocking. And there were so many victims for so long that in some senses, this was, this was a story. This was an abomination hiding in plain sight. Uh, John, let me start with you. Why did it take so long to bring Larry Nasser to justice? Wow. Well, there were a tremendous number of missed warning signs through the years, Jeremy. Uh, more than anything, he did it through the force of his personality. He was an incredibly uh, friendly, gregarious guy. Uh, he did a masterful job of manipulating the emotions of young girls and, and young women, their parents. Uh, he ingratiated himself with the gymnastics community. He was the guy who would go above and beyond to treat these gymnasts. Uh, and when I say treat, I put those words in, that word in quotation marks. He would see them after hours. He would see them in his home. He would uh, connect with them on social media. He would like their pictures. He did everything he could do to win the trust of these young women. And within the culture of gymnastics, which Dan and I uh, you know, found to be a culture of fear and intimidation, Larry Nasser emerged as the good guy, the good cop to so many abusive coaches, bad cops. And it was in that way that he was able to essentially get away with it for decades. And, and then you just factor in that when he was reported, uh, time and again, he had this very clever medical defense that he used as a smokescreen to explain away what we now know was sexual assault. He got away with it for so long, Dan, but finally he was stopped. What did it take ultimately to stop him? I mean, there's uh, really a confluence of events that was, first off, a little bit of coincidence and luck that some of these things happened to come together at just the right time in order to stop him. And much more so than that was an, an incredible effort and persistence from uh, first just one or two women who we feature in the book, Rachel Van Hollander and Jamie Dancer, who first filed a police report and a civil lawsuit right around the same time as each other in 2016. Um, and then many, many more who came forward. And it was really, I think, the force of just dozens and dozens of voices that that did not stop for, you know, it, it took almost two years, a year and a half from the time that Rachel Ben Hollander first spoke out. 
uh, before Larry Nasser admitted guilt, and they were able to get that moment that, um, in a courthouse in Michigan that really I think a lot of the world started paying attention and, and getting to hear them, and they got that moment of victory. But it took a long time and an incredible effort, and it's a, a very rare victory that they got in cases of sexual assault, which is mm. one of the things we wanted to point out in that reporting. And, and one of the most chilling things about this story, and I keep using that word, um, we're speaking with John Barr and Dan Murphy about their new book, Start by Believing, Larry Nasser's Crimes, the Institutions that Enabled Him, and the Brave Women Who Stopped a Monster, which is just being published now. Well, one of the most chilling things is that he, he would commit these crimes. He would abuse these girls in the presence sometimes of their loved ones. And, and, and he would, he would, you know, say this is a medical procedure, as you suggested before, John. I mean, the, the, the depths of the depravity are, are um, it, it's frightening to people. Um, were there victims? I mean, there were who didn't even realize they were being victimized because they believed him. Absolutely, yeah, and there were hundreds of them. Uh, you know, one of the examples that sticks with with me is a a woman named Tasha Schweikert, who was an Olympian from 2000, who went on to become an attorney, and she's a mom now. Um, when Tasha, shortly after she uh, had competed for the Olympic team, she actually went to see Larry Nasser in his home. Uh, she thought of him as an uncle. Mm. She flew to uh, Michigan and stayed in his home for a week, and it was there uh, in, in a spare bedroom that he massaged her. It was on a training table down in the basement where he massaged her and, and sexually assaulted her. And Jeremy, he told her that there were she had an Achilles injury, okay? And he told her that there were muscles inside her vagina that if manipulated internally could uh, alleviate the pain in her Achilles. And she didn't even think twice about it. She trusted him completely. And look, he did this in front of parents. And when I say in front of, he often used his body to obscure their view. He would drape a towel or something over the midsections of the young women who he was sexually assaulting. Uh, but, but he had such an ironclad trust with these parents uh, that they, uh, they allowed it to go on. And, and then there were instances where they, you know, they thought, well, gee, something doesn't seem right here. And in the case of Rachel Ben Hollander and her mother, uh, who spoke with Dan, um, you know, at one point they noticed that Larry Nasser was sexually aroused, but they thought, well, maybe this is just an involuntary rea- reaction. Uh, and they they just didn't allow themselves to go there and think this guy's sexually assaulting young women, not in the moment. Dan, and so it took, yeah. Dan, we'd like to think that um, most people, the vast majority of people, confronted with evidence of this kind of wrongdoing would do the right thing and would defend children and try to prevent harm from being done to them. But the lesson here is that that's not what happens necessarily. Yeah, that's right. I think for some of those people, it was, you know, especially for some parents, they, they were groomed and fooled uh, by Master and the facade that he built up and the reputation he built up over years. And for other people, it was not wanting to be a problem. And I don't think anybody, I hope that nobody clearly saw and knew the extent of what Master was doing and then turned a blind eye to it. But I think that there were so many warning signs that if people had communicated, if people had listened to young women as they came forward and made these claims and really took them seriously, 
that he could have been stopped many, many years earlier. And part of the motivation there is, is honestly not wanting to believe it themselves, and part of the motivation there is probably the fact that uh, it would have destroyed the reputation of, of a lot of really powerful institutions, and it would have called into question the, the priorities of a lot of things like USA Gymnastics, like Michigan State University. Um, and no one was willing to start down that road if they didn't have a very clear picture before they started down that road. We're speaking with John Barr and Dan Murphy about their new book, Start by Believing, Larry Nassar's Crimes, the Institutions that Enabled Him, as we were talking about, and the Brave Women Who Stopped the Monster. And as I said earlier, you guys have been covering this story for a long time, and we're covering it when it became... Uh, part of the national discourse a couple of years ago when so many victims spoke out, so many survivors spoke out. Um, over the last couple of years, as you've been writing this book and reporting this book, um, what, what else have you learned that's uh, most important here, John? Well, I think we've learned a lot, but one of the things that you learned that stands out and that we reported on uh, today, Tuesday the 14th, for... Um, ESPN, was um, just the extent to which USA Gymnastics uh, had information about what, by any measure, would constitute sexual assault. And yet, uh, even knowing that, uh, Steve Penny, the former CEO of USA Gymnastics, uh, on the, acting on the advice of the organization's attorneys, uh, decided to remain silent about it. And uh, to not uh, give that information to Nasser's full-time employer, Michigan State University, where he continued to see and sexually assault women for more than 11 months. Uh, we obtained internal documents that had never before been released, emails from the attorneys to Penny, notes that Penny had access to in the late summer of 2015 when the organization first heard complaints from national team gymnasts about Nasser's uh, treatment sessions, um, and, you know, in one of those cases in particular, uh, former Olympian Mar- Michaela Maroney described, um, you know, a s- a sessions with Nasser saying she felt no therapeutic effect, uh, felt he was getting sexual gratification, described him penetrating her with his fingers, being aggressive, uh, breathing heavily. Uh, you know, that ultimately led Steve Penny to go to the FBI but he's gotten a lot of criticism, and many think justifiably so, for not alerting Michigan State, not putting them on notice, because that is where he continued to see and treat young women for more than uh, uh, 11 months. And, and, and we now know that he abused dozens of them. It's, uh, it's just um, – it, it's, it's upsetting um... – and even now, two years later, it, it still just is mystifying how this uh, could go on for so long. Dan, um, as a journalist, as a reporter, as someone covering this story, what are the lessons you come away with uh, having spent so much time uh, living in this this horrible reality of this story? Yeah, I think some of the, I learned a great deal about um, the issues of, of sexual assault and, and some of the problems with um, bringing them to justice. I mentioned earlier, this was, this was a rare case where um, someone who is a, a serial uh, abuser will actually spend the rest of his life in prison. And um, learning about some of those issues, learning about the, the extended trauma of 
reporting those reasons why women don't speak up right away is really interesting. Um, learning why it's so hard for them to continue to speak up has led me, you know, I think in the sports world, we hear a lot when these claims come up that people immediately want to determine that women are doing this for notoriety or money or some other uh, type of motivation other than to try to, to stop a predator and to help other women. Um, and it's really hard to believe any of that or fathom any of that once you get a really good look at what it takes to step forward, especially in a public light like this. So, you know, I, I think there are a lot of lessons to learn. That's one that certainly hit home for me over the past couple of years. So many people moved by the courage of the survivors, uh, their statements in court, to the media. Um, John, John, what has this process been like for you? Well, Jeremy, I remember a conversation you and I had before I wrote this book, and and I I, I hope I'm not embarrassing you by saying this, but you know I, I respect the respect the fact that you've gone down this road, you've written books, and so I was picking your brain a little bit, and at one point you said to me, you know, uh, why do you want to write a subject about a subject so dark? And I think it was a very fair question uh, to ask because let's face it, it's heavy subject matter, um, but the more you know, we lived with it and it became part of our lives. The more I realized this is not a dark story. You know, this is an inspiring story. There are so many women who uh, got to a really dark place uh, when they came to the awareness that they'd been sexually assaulted. And, and that led to, um, you know, some pretty horrible stuff, you know, suicide attempts, depression, eating disorders. Um, but there are so many women who pick themselves up and changed their lives and, and now have become advocates for the victims. Uh, one case in point is a local woman, Sarah Klein, who I met uh, and more, uh, more than two years ago, and she just wanted to stay anonymous at the time. She didn't want her young daughter growing up one day Googling her name and seeing that Sarah Klein was a victim of Larry Nasser. Well, she's now come full circle. She's used her name. She's become an attorney representing child sex abuse victims. She's lobbied state legislatures to try to get laws changed that are more favorable for child sex abuse victims. And so you, you see stories like that and you realize, man, this is some powerful stuff. And then you just factor in, look at Simone Biles. I mean, this is a sport where success and failure is decided by one one hundredth of a percentage point, right? And she goes out there and she busts her ass and she competes and she is the greatest gymnast perhaps that this country's ever produced. And she's a survivor. You know, she's all those things. And so it, it really is an inspiring story to me. And, you know, we just can't say enough how grateful we are to the women who trusted us to tell their stories. And we should all appreciate uh, the work you guys have done by writing this book. John Barr and Dan Murphy. Their new book is Start by Believing Larry Nasser's Crimes, the Institutions that Enabled Him, and the Brave Women Who Stopped a Monster. John, Dan, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you. Really appreciate you having us. Yeah, I'm glad you're able to talk about it. Thank you, Jeremy. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.